our God saves. Isn't that a great testimony? We have a God who came to seek and to save the lost. We have celebrated this Advent season that Jesus is the beginning of Christmas. That Jesus is the life and the light of Christmas. And that Jesus is the glory of Christmas. And from John's Gospel, the first chapter of John, the prelude of of his introduction to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this last Sunday of this year, 2020, before Christmas, one more Sunday after Christmas, we're going to simply focus upon the meaning of Christmas. And the meaning of Christmas is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the meaning of Christmas. It was foretold more than seven... Matter of fact, the first prediction or the first foretelling that there was going to be a Messiah, a Savior, is found in early as Genesis chapter 3 in what God told Mary. But we see throughout Scripture, all the way through Moses and through David and through the prophets, the foretelling that a Savior was coming, and this Savior would be like no other. In Isaiah chapter 9, God speaking through Isaiah the prophet said, The people walked in darkness, and they have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness... On them a light has shined. He goes on to say, For to us a son is born, a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of the government and and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom... To establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. How do we know that's going to happen? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do these things. Specifically, there are over or close to right at just over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. Speaking of the birth and the life and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 7, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning, of course, God with us. Micah tells us specifically even what town He's going to be born in. But to you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from the ancient of days. Some 700 years and then some almost 500 years before the birth of Christ, specific prophecies that we see fulfilled in the story of the New Testament recorded by the Gospel writers. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee, The city was Nazareth. He went to speak to a virgin who was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came unto her, saying, and he said, Greetings, O favored one, for the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel of the Lord said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. 
And He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father David. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of His kingdom. What was the prophecy? Of His kingdom? There will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy. He's the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing shall be impossible with God. And Mary said, what we all should say at this juncture, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to to your word. And the angel departed from her. When we talked about Christmas and all the trappings of Christmas and all of the excitement and the, the family's children bring a special joy to Christmas, some of that we've enjoyed and seen this morning. All of this is good and I think it's important for us. Central to the reality of Christmas, there would be no Christmas if there was not a need for a Savior and the provision of a Savior Not a last-minute plan, not something God had to scramble around and make happen. But from the very beginning, before creation, God knew what was going to take place and made the wonderful provision of His Son, who was in the beginning with God, who is God, through whom all things were created. Now, though equal with God, didn't grasp that, but humbled Himself. He condescended in what we call the incarnation, taking on flesh, being born of a virgin, and coming and live a life, a sinless life upon this earth. As, as Oregon read earlier, Luke chapter 2, we have the Christmas story. In those days, a, decrees, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first taking place when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each one to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was a descendant. He was of the house and the lineage of David. He went to be registered to be with the census to be counted with Mary, his betrothed, who was great with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, for there was no room for him in the end. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid, King James Version, they were filled with fear. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph. They found the babe lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. 
And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. As I mentioned before, we have seen as we've gone through this Advent season, the identity of Christ, the amazing reality of God becoming flesh, revealed through John's gospel, an unusual text for Advent. We've seen that Jesus is the beginning, the pre-existent Christ, the creator through whom the, 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 the means of creation. We've seen that he is the life and the light, but when he came into his own, his own received him not. That when light shines in darkness, there is always opposition and there is rejection. And yet, regardless of that, we see the glory of God on display. John says in, in, in his gospel in the first chapter, we beheld him and we saw the glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. We saw the glory of God in this man. Not only is he talking about and reflecting upon the Mount of Transfiguration, but all the attributes of God, all the character of God revealed in this perfect one and as wonderful as all the experiences of christmas season are the focal point of christmas the meaning of christmas is that jesus who is in the beginning with god and who was god came he humbled himself came to be born of a virgin wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger he did this to bring hope to our lives we've lit that candle the first season the first sunday he came to bring peace with god having therefore been justified we now have peace with with the Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. He brings joy. Those of you who have been saved know joy. You know joy unspeakable, full of glory. The joy of sins forgiven. The joy of confidence in the provision of Christ. And of course, we lit the candle, the love candle today. The most perfect display of God's love is the display of the birth of Christ and the display of His death. This Christmas, I want you to remember just a few things that I really want us to, to, to kind of settle in simple statements that I think we can grasp that will impact our lives with the truth of the meaning of Christmas. Jesus underwent a human birth so that we could have a spiritual birth. The Bible very clearly teaches, and we know, when you look around at the world around us, we know that sin is separated between people and God, and all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. We know that there is darkness. John was speaking to Nicodemus, and uh, Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. John records it in John chapter 3, and you guys are familiar with John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He goes on to explain that Jesus did not come to condemn the world. Why? Because the world is condemned already. The light came into the world, but men fled from the light. We didn't like the light because we prefer darkness over light because of our deeds are evil. And there was a, a great need that we have for spiritual birth. And yet, hopefully many of you, most of you in this place, and I don't know how many are watching online or have the opportunity to hear, but the condition of all people is separated from God, spiritually dead. And what Christ came to do was to bring life, everlasting life. Light, He brings us to life. Ephesians chapter 2 says, And you has He made alive, who in times past were dead. And He describes our condition then, but He, he gives praise and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who brings us to life. Jesus underwent a human birth so that we might have a spiritual birth. But as many as received him to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Jesus had an earthly mother, an earthly family, so that we might have a heavenly father and a heavenly family. We read how Gabriel came to Mary. We did not read, I hope you will, Matthew's account of Joseph's perspective and experience and all that has taken place. Jesus had an earthly family. He had brothers and he had sisters. God gave him an earthly family. And then he had disciples, which he invested his life in. And though they were not blood relatives, they were a family group, a a unit that he had relationships with. Jesus came with an earthly family that you and I might be part of a heavenly family. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, Apostle Paul writing to the church at Galatia, just kind of lays the blanket over all of this, saying, and all of you in Christ Jesus are the sons of God through faith. Because no longer is it just the lineage of Abraham genetically or through, through physical descent. Now, we are the descendants of Abraham. We are part of the family of God because God's family is joined and is formed by faith in Him and His provision for us in Christ. So I hope that you've been brought to life in Christ. I hope you've been connected with a family in Christ, and not only as part of Christ's family where God is our Father, but the family of faith, the relationships that we have with one another, the Spirit in our hearts bearing witness with the Spirit in other people's hearts that we are brothers and sisters in Christ and children of God. You know how this is, and it's important that we have and recognize that that is part of what Christ provided at Christmas. Jesus took His place in a manger, in a stable so that we might have a house and a home in heaven. It's always been a wonder that the King of Heaven would leave all of heaven and come to earth to be born basically in a cave, in a place where where cows and cattle and and sheep and and animals are housed. Um, And yet, when Jesus was preparing to leave the earth, He told His disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And we know again and again as we read Scripture, First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, Galatians chapter 5, First Thessalonians chapter 4, so many passages of Scripture that talk about the place that God is providing for us. We have not only a family and a, and a home here, we have an eternal place that He has provided for those who come to Him in repentance and faith. The amazing import of Christmas, the birth of Christ, is that from the beginning of His earthly life, He was destined... His life was destined to culminate at the cross. The life of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ is that which enables us to have peace with God. At Christmas, we, we celebrate the nativity. But I want you to understand that Christmas and Easter are, are they're more than linked. They are part of the same miraculous divine event. God providing grace and salvation and cleansing and forgiveness through the selfless sacrifice of His Son. Again, some 700 years before Gabriel visited Mary, Isaiah foretold these events. Who has believed our message and, who, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For He grew up before Him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no earthly beauty or majesty to attract us to Him, nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. And he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. I, I am frequently or often have been in conversations with people who who question the credibility of Scripture. A lot of people will say, well, there's truth in Bible, but all of it can't be true. It's written by men. And, it's, and, and there are arguments and perspectives that because the Bible says things people don't like, they can just say it's not a credible source. And we all know the difficulty of having credible sources nowadays. But I do want you to understand that the Bible is a credible source. The Bible is the Word of God, inspired by God. As He inspired men, they wrote. He not only inspired the words that they wrote, He has preserved it for us and brought it to us and He illuminates it to our hearts and our minds by His Holy Spirit. But one of the clearest external evidences of God in Scripture and the authenticity and the authority of the Word of God are the predictive prophecies that come true one after another, after another, after another, after another. Those who study these things and have studied them in more detail than I have say there are more than 700 specific predictive prophecies that we see completed in the New Testament, that we see completed. The prophecy here spoke of an account that we see completed, recorded also on the page of Scripture. What Isaiah prophesied, Mark recorded, the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. Jesus, no longer a child, now a man of some 30-something years old. They clothed him in a purple cloak and twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on him. And they began to salute him. They were mocking and scoffing, saying, Hail, the king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on them, and then they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it, and they crucified him. They divided his garments among them, casting lots for themselves to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription, inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. Now, the inscription was the charge against them because the Jews had said to Pilate, trying to, the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin and the Jewish church leaders were at that time trying to have Pilate act on their behalf to silence Jesus, to put him to death. And so they 
claimed he was a resurrectionist or an insurrectionist, sorry, and one who was bringing about an insurrection, claiming to be king when Caesar was king, and that, of course, is a crime punishable by death. And so that's what Pilate put on. And, and, and the Jews, they, the leaders of the Jewish people at that day who were seeking to crucify Jesus said, don't put that on there. Don't put Jesus Christ king of the Jews. Put, he said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, nope, we're leaving what I've got written, written. And again, that is a, a fulfillment of a prophecy, not the writing that he is the king of the Jews, but the reality that we have a prophet who tells us what we are to know. Truth that we would not know otherwise. We have a priest who intercedes between us and our father and makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God. And we have a king who rules our life. He is the king of the Jews. He is the king of all who come to him in repentance and faith. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. Christmas is God with us, but Christmas is also God for us. He left His glory to bring us glory. We beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John writes, uh, Paul writes about Him leaving the glory of heaven to condescend to earth. And yet, Peter reminds us that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive, we will receive an unfading crown of glory. Jesus submitted himself and became subject to authorities upon this earth that, earth that you and I might be free. In Luke, of course, we have the Luke chapter 2. Later, we have Jesus being taken to the temple when the time was fulfilled for Joseph and Mary to accomplish all the things that they were supposed to do. And there they saw Anna and there they saw Simeon. Great testimony. But Jesus goes back to the temple also in Luke chapter 2. It's recorded when he's 12 years old and Mary and Joseph are on the way home. They're looking for him. They can't find him. They go back and they find him interacting with the leaders, the teachers, the scribes there in the temple. And this is what, uh, and they bring him. And this is what he said to the, he said in uh, Luke chapter 2. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's house? Now they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. But listen to verse 51. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. He submitted to earthly authority in order that we might be actually free. In Galatians chapter 5, the declaration comes resoundingly from Paul's gospel. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to a yoke of slavery. We submit to God. We submit to one another. But in our submission, we are made completely free in Christ. He became poor that we might be rich. When he was on this earth, he did not live in a fancy place. He was not surrounded with those who serve him. He was a servant. He came not to, not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. When there are those who would seek to follow him, he sometimes sought to discourage them. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And yet Paul very clearly states that we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you might, by his poverty, become rich. We might be rich in the riches of God, the inheritance that God has for us. And the amazing story of Christmas I think it's probably best told in the, in the book of Romans, chapter 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. I want you to have a very Merry Christmas. And I want you to look at the nativity and remember the amazing reality that God came as a babe. With all of the, the people have sometimes asked me, did Jesus cry as a baby? Do you, know, do, you, do you know the answer? All babies cry. Yes, he was 100% man and 100% God. Kenosis, he emptied himself, but he, did, he didn't stop being God when he came to earth. But he was fully man. He hungered, he thirsted, he traveled, he lived. And yet, the difference between his life and ours. And he, he was born in, not in the image of Adam before the fall. He's born in the image of Adam after the fall. He became like the sons of men. You understand this in Hebrews chapter 2. He took on everything that we have taken on. The difference is he did it without sin, yet without sin. To qualify himself to be the perfect sacrifice. And now he is our advocate with the Father. And so we rejoice in his love. And we allow his love to bring us hope. To celebrate the peace that he's brought between us and the Father. And the peace that he intends to bring and desires to continually bring between us and the relationships that we have on this earth. But also to bring us joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Suzanne, would you come and join me up here? People have asked about the Advent candle. Advent means coming. And there was an expectation that the Lord Jesus Christ would come because of the prophecies that were foretold. The Jews, when they talked about the Messiah, knew exactly what they were talking about. They were talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who would pay the penalty for sin, the one who would make things right with God. And yet when He came, so many people did not receive Him. And yet... For those who do, they experience life and cleansing, life everlasting. So today, the last candle of the Advent wreath is the Christ candle. Suzanne? Just press and hold. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus and rejoice in him coming to us, we light the Christ candle. Jesus Christ is our hope. He is our peace. Jesus Christ is our joy. He is love, pure, holy, undying love. And John 3.16 says, Whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. And then John, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 9.17 says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. going to have a word of prayer and then we will stand together and sing silent night and that will be how we dismiss the service this morning father thank you for the light that the lord jesus christ is that when we were in darkness the light shone upon upon us that we were became aware of our sinfulness and our need of a savior in your plan that there is a savior and that his name is jesus for the life that we have recorded in Scripture. We thank you that we celebrate this and we celebrate this still. And I pray, Father, that for those who have not yet encountered Christ in this way, that by 
this testimony and the testimony of your word by the drawing and the conviction of your Holy Spirit that you will grant repentance and forgiveness and cleansing and they will know hope and peace and joy and love. I pray, Father, for those of us that do that we will again celebrate it and shine the light on those around us that all may know of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you. In your name I pray. Amen.